Today, we're talking to Ido from Firefly, all about his journey into infrastructure as code and the impact it's having on running in the cloud. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. We're here, man. Hello. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. Cool. So can you tell me a little bit about like, your background and, and how Firefly came to be? Uh, yeah. So I started my, um, let's call it a career um, in the Israeli army. I served for the intelligence corps in the IDF, did lots of uh, cybersecurity work. So in total, I spent just under 12 years there. When, when I finished, I went to lead technology for a prominent Israeli hedge fund. But I was always keeping a very, very close look at at what's going on in the cloud. I was always fascinated with the cloud. So at some point, uh, um, I, I left the hedge fund. What were you doing there at the hedge fund? Were you evaluating other companies? Is that how you got the idea for Firefly? We invested in uh, publicly traded companies with high emphasis on uh, fast-growing technology companies. Uh, and some, sometimes not fast-growing, but uh, um, somewhere where we have a lever or an edge over other uh, money managers. Um, and we believe it's it's around our ability to analysis um, technology stacks and technology companies. So yeah, I, I was meeting CEOs, CTOs, CFOs of uh, publicly trading tech companies all day long, learned a lot from it, you know, even specifically in this um, macro trend where path to profitability becomes very, very much important once again. So I think uh, I've learned a few lessons on, on how to turn tech into cash flow. And I hope we can employ that here at, at the Firefly. When you were doing this investment research and talking with them and evaluating tech stacks, did they all have this common problem that you thought like, okay, I'm going to leave the hedge fund and I'm going to go solve this common problem? Or was it, did the idea come from something completely different? I It came from something completely different. So, so what happened when I w- was working in the hedge fund, I saw the rise of Kubernetes and I saw how it impacts, back then it was even, you know, it was containers and Kubernetes was just starting. It was the rise of the containers, uh, services, and application. And then we saw the emergence of serverless. So I thought this is, this can be a really good opportunity to start something big. So this is what really got me started, leaving the hedge fund and started, and started my previous company, Nueva. So problem is with serverless, you know, when we started in early 2018, serverless was the future of cloud. But now we are very close to the beginning of 2023 and, and, and serverless is still the future of cloud. So in technology, five years time span is a very long time. So unfortunately, let's call it, it's still an incubation project, the serverless function uh, domain. But when we started Firefly, we thought about problems that almost everyone we talked to and everyone we, we, we saw, uh, um, my partners and myself, in, in our previous positions, um, experience. And one of the core problems that we, we saw across, you know, startups to Fortune 500s is the fear of cloud. So maybe I'll take a quick step back and tell you about uh, some of my experience in my previous company. So we developed uh, a solution to re-architect uh, serverless from the kernel up. So our developers 
did a lot of heavy lifting around low-level software development. And they had no problem with it. Kernel copy and write, checkpoint install in user mode, lots of very hardcore R&D. But then when they had to ship it to the cloud, they were afraid. They told, no, I won't do it. Let's get only the DevOps people do it for us because every mistake when you deploy to the cloud can have severe consequences. So this is for the first time when I, when I understood that taking your code, deploying it to the cloud and controlling it in, in the cloud can be complex even to the best of the best in engineering teams out there. So when I got together with my partners, we all felt this pain together. We all saw it in different stages of the of our companies, of the market, of the personas we worked with. And this is how we, 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 we decided to start Firefly. We just found the three of us are very much intrigued by the lack of control over cloud platforms. So this was the initial spark that, that got us started working on Firefly. And so what does Firefly do exactly? Because I'm... So my background is software engineering, but I haven't been doing that for the past three or four years because of the podcast, and that sort of became my full-time gig. But you know, part of me thinks, when I was reading the description and, and hearing you talk, it's like to understand the footprint of, of like your cloud environments. And then there's a couple... And then the past couple statements you said started making me think it was like kind of a Terraform type deal. Can you help me understand like exactly what it is? So I think you got the parts correctly. I would say it's the line that connects between understanding your cloud footprint and the Terraform and other infrastructures oh, okay, cool. parts out there. So, <laughs> so basically what Firefly does, it's a cloud asset management solution. Okay, we help DevOps, SRE, and platform engineering teams understand everything that they have in their entire cloud footprint. And then we map unmanaged, misconfigured, or inefficient resources out there on your cloud. But when we find them, we're not just leaving you with those alerts because, you know, no one has sufficient uh, uh, staffing in their cloud ops teams. And even if you have the budget, good luck finding the right person to do it and having them onboarded. And even if you manage to find those, you know, in SRE, there's always a fire to put out. So once we find those problems or those challenges, the, the unmanaged, misconfigured, or inefficient uh, resource resources out there, we give you automatic fixes or remediations for them. So you can really increase the business velocity or the, or the efficiency of your cloud operations while minimizing the risk for service failure. And I would say, you know, to, to your point in, in how it connects between footprint visibility or understanding into infrastructure as code and Terraform is that, um, you know, if we think about the more common IT asset management or, or how we manage on-prem data centers or legacy IT. In this domain, asset management and configuration management database, CMDB, is a huge, huge section. I mean, this section that sells a few billions a year, um, probably the largest player there is uh, ServiceNow, which uh, sells uh, um, a lot of uh, CMDB. Because when you manage your own data center, Everyone understand you need the source of truth about your infrastructure, right? Where do you have those Juniper routers? How do they connect to the Cisco routers? How do they connect to the secure web gateway? And what are the definition of them? But now when we took them, we took the, the infrastructure to the cloud, 
the cloud became even more complex than the on-prem IT because we have more services that are changing much more quickly by more teams and the adoption of new technologies is in, at a much faster pace. So how come we took this very established, highly adopted concept for managing on-prem data centers, but we went to the cloud, which is more complex, more fragmented, we, we left it behind where we should have someone, something that is next gen, more, much more improved CNDB or asset management solution. And this is how we go about it. We believe that the cloud asset management for the cloud should be uh, um, powered by infrastructure as code because infrastructure as code and Terraform as, as a prominent example is the language of the cloud. So when we manage those, I, I gave the example about um, routers on-prem. So when you talk to the Juniper and Cisco and Fortinet and so on and so forth and Huawei, you had to, to understand those APIs of each and every one of them. When you move to the cloud, you can speak in one language. Let's, it's, it's the language of infrastructure as code. Let's say, for example, it's Terraform or is it Pulumi? Or it can be CloudFormation or ARM or Helm for Kubernetes environments, right? And, and some would say even Ansible. So it's the same language with different dialects, but essentially it's the same language. And our cloud asset management solution is very much proficient and, and like the Harvard professor uh, um, for this infrastructure as code level. I've got a bunch of questions for you, but I want to give you a compliment first because people that listen to the show are always trying to become better, grow in their career, uh, in their presentation and professionally. And you did something that I really enjoyed in your last statement. Before you said the acronym, you said what the acronym was. And I can't tell you how many interviews I do where people just start shouting out letters as if I'm in their vertical 24-7. <laughs> and then yeah. I have to go back and ask them to explain. And I know it's pretty common people learned like when you're writing a paper, you're supposed to say it before you use the acronym. But in speech, they don't do that. So you did this really good habit I enjoy, so I wanted to point it out. Now to the questions. Okay, so the first one is, does your solution work across multiple providers like AWS and Microsoft and Google, or is it just one? So we currently support AWS and Google Cloud, which was formerly known as GCP, and Azure is coming uh, very soon. But currently it's AWS and GCP and Kubernetes everywhere, but also OpenShift. But Azure will be supported soon, so we... As we see it, we'll support the majority of the multi-cloud plus Kubernetes ecosystem. For these misconfigured, unmanaged, I guess, automatic suggestions that you mentioned, are these just suggestions or can I click a button and have it take action on that suggestion? So it depends, but it's, it's a, most of the time it's an action. Sometimes it's just a suggestion. So let, let me give you some concrete examples. So when we say unmanaged, we basically mean that something is running in the cloud without you really controlling it via infrastructure as code. So we call we distinguish between codified assets and unmanaged assets. Because when you run large-scale, fastly changing environments, if the infrastructure isn't codified, it's de facto unmanaged. It's not versioned. It's not controlled, it's not uh, uh, immutable, and it's not reliable, and, and you can't support high-scale operation without it. So we scan your cloud and we tell you this part of your cloud is properly codified using Terraform, CloudFormation, and Helm charts. But 
this other part are unmanaged. So now a small, small startup can have like 500 assets that are unmanaged. Um, some of our enterprise customers have 15 million unmanaged assets, but th- those are some of the world's large, largest uh, cloud deployments. So let's say you're, you're somewhere in the middle and you have now 2,400 unmanaged resources. Just imagine how much time, effort, and investment would it take to a person, to an engineering team, to codify each and every one of those 2,400. It, it's just an immense amount of engineering hours that you don't have. And then when you start doing it, you do the first one, you're fresh, it's all good. You're going between the AWS documentation, the Terraform d- documentation, and your internal uh, documentation on how you do stuff and how you run your modules, and it's fine. But this is just the first one. When you get to the 20th, you're already ber- burned out. So this is how errors start start to sprawl in. Okay, so what we do, we take all of this, for this example, 2,400 unmanaged resources, and we allow you to codify them automatically with a single stroke of a key or an API call. And you can take all of them, you can take a bunch of them, you can break it down into environments. And we understand how this environment lives in the cloud and we break it down into infrastructure as code. Now you can decide if you want to codify it into Terraform, codify it into Pulumi, CloudFormation, Arm, Helm, Ansible, any way you'd like to take it, Firefly support it. So this is how we save errors and significant amount of engineering hours and allow you to really control your entire cloud and have it, having it all codified. So this is just one example. Another one that probably worth mentioning is drift or misconfiguration. So let's say you wanted to deploy to your cloud an IAM role, right? So you gave it a bunch of, um, a bunch of permissions. And now someone super quickly wanted to make a change to the cloud. So they just use the AWS CLI and change stuff without going through this, the infrastructure as code uh, pipeline. So this is what we call drift. And this drift can have severe implications. It can, it can have security uh, um, um, hazard implicate. It can be security hazard, sorry. It can have performance uh, issues. It can be just cost issues if we're talking about instances uh, size. And all in all, it's very bad. And, and most of them end up in errors or service disruptions. So the minute you create a drift, Firefly detects it and send you a notification. Let's say for your Slack or your PagerDuty, if we're talking about some of our customers leveraging PagerDuty alerts for production environments. So you're getting this notification with all the drift details, what happened, how it happened, who created this drift. But also again, instead of just leaving you with the alert, you know, it, now it's 2 a.m., PagerDuty woke you up at 2 a.m. on a weekend, and you need to understand what do I do with this IAM role or this uh, VPC definition? And you you're really hungover because it's a weekend. And <laughs> so, so, so what do you do? What do you do? You can struggle. You can waste some very precious uptime, or you can leverage Firefly's automatic fix for the drift. So we understand where this piece of code and this state file for the infrastructure is called lives, and we understand how to make right or how to how to fix or remediate this problem. So again, it's it's an automatic process that takes a few seconds and you're back to safety. So this is just two examples on, on how we give automatic remediations for problem problems in your cloud. 
That's pretty cool. I love what you guys are doing. I also heard that you're doing a survey on the state of infrastructure as code. So what is this survey? Tell me about it. All right. So Firefly is on the one hand, a cloud asset management solution, but we are very much built on top and just great believers in infrastructure as code. And we see ourselves as part of the infrastructure as code community or trying to be ambassadors of infrastructure as code inside DevOps and platform engineering. So we just released a survey about the state of the IAC, state of infrastructure as code, where we share knowledge within the community. We're going to close this survey really soon, and we're going to uh, to release a, a very good uh, report and a very, very thorough report with lots of um, of insights and data that we collected about how different teams and different companies employ and utilize infrastructure as code across their stacks. Okay. Do you have a newsletter on your site that people can subscribe to or they would end up getting that notification when it's done? Yeah. In, in our website, um, gofirefly.io, there's a contact us page. You can, you can sign up to our newsletter and you get notifications when this uh, report is going to release. Also, it will be very much publicized on our website, but across some other media outlets and, and community websites. So just, uh, you know, I think when you'll search for state of the IAC, you'll, you'll get this report. And, and I can tell you, even with a sneak peek, that some great findings there that, that can help any platform team out there understand how, how other teams are leveraging infrastructure as code. Amazing. Okay. I got a kind of nerdy, lower level question here because I'm just curious. Okay. So it was really clear to me on the example of the 2400, you find this these unmanaged resources, right? And then I can see 100% how you could look at the current configuration, detect that it's not driven by infrastructure as code, and then essentially generate infrastructure as code based off of the current environment, right? I, I can understand how you can generate it, but like, how do you get that into the deployment pipeline of the application that didn't previously have infrastructure as code? Fantastic question, and I didn't mention it before. So how we go about it is we don't want Firefly to introduce more risk to your cloud. So every change that we suggest for you to the cloud can be codifying a cloud environment or fixing drift is via a pull request. Okay, so it's a Git pull request. We connect to any Git that you have or, or the most common Gits that, that you like, GitHub, GitLab, uh, Bitbucket, uh, Azure DevOps, to name a few. And then it's inside your CICD pipeline. So some just take it as a general pull request created by a developer in the organizations. For other, we are already a step in their Jenkins processes. So they know when Firefly is step the drift step is automatically approved. So for them, it's completely automatic. That is pretty cool. And so it just comes from your application, like the the pull request will show as like your application as the developer? Yes. Oh, that's pretty cool. If you really want to take it low level, it's it's our API, but, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Is it like a little graphic of a Firefly? Yeah, we, we, we have very, <laughs> uh, very cute uh, animation of Firefly humming its, its wings across. So yeah, yeah, it, it does yeah. it. When it thinks, it does it. I like that, actually. When I saw it the other day, I was looking at... Uh, what's, your, what's your website again? It's gofirefly.io. 
Yes. So one of the things I really liked about it, I just pulled it up, is that you had some button where I could see, basically it was one click to like a fully populated dashboard where you could see exactly what it would look like if it were like filled with information. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we we invested a lot of time and effort in building an experience what we like to think is very nice. Okay, it takes minutes to onboard. So just a few clicks and you see your entire cloud in one place. And then, yeah, fantastic. So if you can go to the, this is the main dashboard, but if you go to the inventory, it's just a full inventory of your entire cloud. So let's see, let's see how big is your cloud deployment. All right, so not, not too shabby. Three AWS accounts, one Kubernetes clusters. You didn't add any SaaS application, but essentially what we're saying is that if you are the VP of platform for a large organization, yes, you have your AWS, you have your GCP, your, your Azure, your Kubernetes stuff, but for you, Okta and Cloudflare and maybe you know, GitLab are an integral part of your infrastructure. So we also integrate with those tools and allow you to see them as part as, as, as your cloud inventory. So now you want to see how they were deployed using, in this case, I see you use Argo CD, which is fantastic. Again, we also use it internally. So you can see how it was deployed. You want to filter by a tag across all of those. You, you just go ahead and do it. You want to, to filter to see if you still have some assets that were deployed in 2019 and still for some reason running, you can do it. That's pretty cool. This is actually really interesting. And I think we almost reached the limit of my knowledge here with some of this stuff. But I can definitely see how the value from a business standpoint of having these unmanaged assets, I I think the most interesting one to me that is the drift. Because that happens a lot. People will go in and like tinker with something, you know, with the live version of it, and then it can get off. Is that what drift is? Yeah. So drift is, you know, if we're talking um, a bit higher level, Drift is a gap between the desired state of the cloud and its actual state. Today, the standard is to um, codify the desired state of the cloud in infrastructure as code. So the architect or or the developer creates the desired state, let's say for, uh, uh, um, in this case, an auto-scaling group, right? So uh, um, you do this uh, 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 configuration of the auto-scaling group and it goes live on production or staging or or anything that you'd like. And then someone logs in manually to the AWS console and change some definitions of it. So when it's done, now it's not meeting the desired state that my architect wanted for it. Um, So in this case, for for the auto-scaling group, it can be just something that impacts performance or impacts uh, uh, cost. But I can tell you that every week we get lots and lots of feedback from our existing customer base telling us how drift detection helped them prevent a downtime or a service disruption, which is amazing. So when I log into the AWS console and change something manually, I'm creating this drift and I want to, to stop it before it ha- happens because it's just a bad practice. The other side of drift is a drift that not just created manually, but created by a third party vendor. So let me tell you some examples that we saw recently. So for example, you have this um, cloud cost optimization tool that goes onto your AWS root account and searches for larger instances. And then it automatically moves you between different instances. So it can go, let's say you're deployed on um, some 
to an extra large instance. Now I moved, I, I moved you to an M4. So it's a drift, right? Because now if you want to redeploy this, uh, uh, redeploy this environment, it's going to, de- to be deployed using the to extra large, because this is what my Terraform sees, my infrastructure is code and not my, what my current environment has. But if I'm in a, at one of the, let's call it one of the teams that maintain the cloud, I'm doing all the changes on this medium size server. So all the changes that I made for in the past few days are going to be gone. And this is how uh, um, drifts affects uptime and drift affects service quality. So we see this one good example of non-human intervention created drift. The other way uh, for it to happen is with security tools. So another example just from, from last week. So this DevOps teams is working with a new vendor, they need a relay. So they have a, a VPC, which is close to the internet, and now they need to ingress from the internet inside. So they open this VPC to outside traffic and it's all working and it's fine. After three days, a security tool scans this VPC and sees that it allows ingress, but the security tool's policy says, no, you can't allow it. So now it's going in and changing the configuration because this is what the security tool should do uh, and make it the security more tight. So now security is, is tighter again, but the DevOps team can't have connection to the relay that they wanted. So they don't understand what the problem is. They spend a few hours in understanding why they don't have connection. You know, obviously you start with blaming the DNS, then they see it's someone changing the ingress rule. So reopen it. Another week passes. So again, this, the security tool comes in and does it, does it again. So what's the source of truth? Where is the place where you define that this specific VPC should allow ingress from the internet into the organization private network? Where does it live? Where is what we call in, 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 called in, in legacy IT, where is the CMDB, the configuration management database? Where do you have it? And the, the answer is, unless you have Firefly, you don't have where to state it. And for sure, you don't have how to detect those drift and stop them from hurting your production environments. When you're out there selling this, because you're the CEO, so you're on sales calls and things like that, what's the one or two reasons why people are making the decision to put out the money for, for this product? All right, so so I can I can segment it uh, into two basic stories. One is, let's call it the more... Cloud forward, the best of the best teams, they just see it. Earlier, you pulled up a quick environment of Firefly. We have this metric that shows you your IAC coverage status, which part of your cloud are codified, unmanaged, drifted, or ghost. Ghost meaning that you think something is running on your cloud because we see it on the state files of the infrastructure's code, but it's actually missing. Those top professionals the teams that lead the pack in cloud engineering and platform engineering, they sometimes see this and they adopt it because they understand the pain of constantly maintaining a fully IC covered um, cloud and, and they know they have to be as close as possible to 100% codified. So this is one aspect. These are the most easiest cells for us. The other side, when we're talking to the more established enterprises, there we sell a peace of mind. We sell a cloud safety net. We sell them the ability to know that they control the entire cloud. And if something is not properly controlled, they don't need to invest 
too many engineering resources because automation will do it for them. And if something changes, let's call it a drift, for example, or uh, a new unmanaged resource was deployed, Firefly will give them the peace of mind to know that we have the, their back. We'll let, you know, we'll let them know about that. We give them the fix automatically. So they're always in control and they're always keeping their, their teams efficient. I like that. Yeah, because that, that's what I was going to think it a, a huge driver would be the expense of downtime is is easily calculated, right? You go to an e-commerce company or uh, a SaaS company and you ask them how much downtime costs, they know it, they know this number. And so to help prevent that would be worth spending money on. Yeah, and, and, and I can also tell you one of our first customers, it was one of the reasons that got us really started uh, with Firefly, is a company I can't use the name, but let's That's let's okay. say they, they, they use they used one of the larger IT consulting companies when they came in, and they they decided to do what they call an IAC migration, infrastructure as code migration, adopt infrastructure as code, and start covering their infrastructure uh, with with Terraform. So they they paid this consultancy two hundred and fifty k for the project. It took four months, a lot of of ongoing uh, uh, work with from both sides. So it it cost a lot of upfront cash, but also a lot of time and effort from this team. And it was successful. But three months in after they paid it, everything was already drifted. A lot of new stuff was deployed to the cloud, which is now unmanaged. Some ghost appeared because of the CI/CD leakage and some Terraform errors. So now... They're saying, okay, we paid this consultant 250K plus all of our time. And now we need to call them back after one quarter. So do we need to invest like every quarter 250K plus a lot of time? It just just doesn't make sense. So with us, they're doing it A, at high scale and much improved speed. And B, it's continuous. And it's not like every once a quarter, a lot of work because we just help you take it in bite size. Every change is monitored. Every drift is fixed. Every unmanaged resource can be codified in seconds. Can you help me understand? Like, can you just educate me for a second? <laughs> I don't know how useful it will be to the audience, but the people who aren't experts at infrastructure as code might be interested. When you have, let's use Terraform, what are the policies called in Terraform? Are they called policies, recipes? What are they called? Um, so sometimes um, manifests are probably the most commonly used. We can talk about this. I don't know if it'll make it into the interview, but I, I just really want to know. I'm really kind of curious. Are people storing these Terraform manifests in their Git repositories or are they storing them in some sort of hosted Terraform environment? How are you looking at like which ones have, like when you look at the server, where are you looking to see if it's been codified? What are you peeking into? Their GitHub repositories, some other system? The best practice, obviously, is to store infrastructure as code, and, and namely Terraform, in your Git repositories and save state files in a dedicated solution for state files. Most commonly, it's uh, um, your own do-it-yourself storage buckets on, on your cloud, for example, S3 on, on AWS. Uh, um, but there are a lot of other solutions. Very, very popular ones can be IAC pipelines by GitLab and GitHub, which gives you out-of-the-box integration to manage it, but also 
some other solution, like uh, Terraform has Terraform Cloud to do it. But what we see currently in the market is that do-it-yourself or the, the, the current CI/CD pipelines are the strongest ones. So our ability to know which parts of your cloud are properly codified versus unmanaged is by comparing two different scans. One is the scan for your cloud. We just scan, we, we build a complete picture of how your cloud footprint uh, looks like. The other is where we scan your state files. And then we're able to, to understand how your cloud should look like from the infrastructure's code uh, perspective. When we compare them both, we understand which resources are codified and which aren't. So which, codif- which resources we see in the cloud and, and don't see in the infrastructure's code files, these are unmanaged resources. If there are some resources that we see in the state files but are missing from the cloud, those are what we call ghost resources. So so if I plug this into my environment and I've got 2,000 servers and maybe there's 100 that are unmanaged, is it possible that the reason why it's coming up as unmanaged is because I haven't hooked up a secondary Git account that actually is containing those configurations? Does that ever happen? Um, essentially, if, if you didn't... So the state files are not saved in, in the actual Git. Uh, it's, it's a different uh, storage. But if you don't constantly use this state file management uh, process, um, it's essentially like you don't manage the state. So the next time you want to to change those servers and it can be your your RDS databases or, or anything that you'd like, your, your Lambda functions, it's essentially very bad practice. So if you don't manage the state, and it's something that we do see and we do help solve understanding which state files are properly managed, which are not, which are empty, which are out of sync, and so on and so forth. Uh, um, it's essentially not really leveraging infrastructure as code to its fullest. So you 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 got to manage your cloud uh, um, through those state files, because what it tells me, let's say you have those 2,000 2, servers, and now you want to deploy the 2,001. So you make an infrastructure as code plan, let's say a Terraform plan for 2,001 servers, or, or let's let's do it with the containers. It's even easier, uh, right? Because they are ephemeral. So if I want to to deploy the, those, let's go back to, to server. Sorry, uh, um, I don't really need to deploy two thousand and one. I can just deploy the extra one. How would Terraform and any other infrastructure is called to to know that I need to deploy only one? Is by reading this state file that tells me you already have two thousand. Uh, um, servers up and running in the cloud. So we as Firefly, we have the ability to actually question and scan the cloud in real time. So we know it, but the basic technology beneath in infrastructure as code is by not scanning the cloud, but just remembering or managing the state of your cloud using those state files. And do the state files live on like the server or do they live in some other location? Where do they live they live in, in a different location. So let's say you have the, your server deployed in the cloud, you have the code for this uh, uh, server in your Git repo, and you have your state, your state file kept in GitLab infrastructure's code pipeline or in your own storage oh. bucket on AWS. So it's that if you're talking about Terraform, it's it's .tf state file. Now there's, okay. the, there's a storage bucket where you have all those files and when you run the Terraform plan, Terraform apply, uh, um, um, commands, they're executed against 
this storage bucket that holds this state file. Okay, cool. I'm getting an education here today. <laughs> yeah, you should. You know, we have some position, open positions for uh, for platform engineers. I'm I'm counting on you. There we go. Well, uh, hey, if you have open positions for everyone who's listening, who's interested in this stuff, and who is possibly just bored by the basic explanation of me learning something that everyone should know in infrastructure, <laughs> yeah, where would they go to apply to look for a job? So I don't think uh, you know my HR manager will kill me, but I, I don't think we have a career page on, on our website. But just leave us a note on our contact at us page on our website. Uh, we, we do have many open positions across engineering, sales, marketing, anything that you can think of. So not a barista and not yet, <laughs> but uh, many of the more common departments in startup are recruiting in, in, in high speed. When that barista position opens up, let me know. <laughs> I, I will get you here for coffee. Thank you. Uh, quick question about the uh, Firefly animation. When I saw it, I was blown away. Is that CSS animation? Yes. Yes, oh, we nice. have some of the best uh, uh, front-end developers who do really great stuff with code. So you know, they are creating in code instead in Figma. Yes, it's demo.gofirefly.io. If you want to just see the animation, right? Oh, it gets a little faster too. I didn't notice that. It's slow at first and then when it loads, it's faster. I, I love design. I'm a huge fan of design. So whenever I see like really beautiful stuff, I'm always in- intrigued. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I hope that's CSS because that is that is brilliant. Yeah, and it, and it allows us just to do better work without overly relying on, um, on CDNs. Yeah, that's awesome. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I feel good. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.